At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. In a world of twisted facts, alternative narratives, corrupted corporations, and hacked feeds, how can we decipher the difference between truth and fiction? It's time to take back the truth. Read Robert Kiyosaki's Fake and learn the signs to recognize fake money, fake teachers, and fake assets. Determine what's real in a world where falsehoods are a weapon. Don't let fake advice destroy your financial future. Visit therealkiyosaki.com to read Fake by Robert Kiyosaki. That's therealkiyosaki.com. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. This is Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. You know, as we all know, there's a lot of fake news and a lot of fake information, a lot of rumor and speculation and lies. So what's really nice about having the Rich Dad Radio Show, we get to people who are actually in the know, people who are inside the mess, should we say, or the, or the chaos. And what we're gonna to learn today, the purpose of it is so you can see clearly now. And you may be able to make some, take some different action, evasive action, or maybe even profit from what's gonna happen. So our guest today is Nomi Prince, and I'm so honored she's actually in the studio. And I'm sitting here with her book, Collusion, How Central Bankers Rig the World, and I have to confess, there's a lot of times I get a book, you know, the night before, and I don't have a chance to read it. So my interviews, I'm, I'm relying solely on the author to kind of fill in the blanks here. But this book, Collusion, I read it cover to cover, nonstop. I actually showed Noni all my highlights and my notes in it and all this. And I tell you what, it is, I just couldn't put it down. You know, once I started with it, I couldn't stop. And let me tell you why I couldn't stop reading Collusion, because it's about today. Really what the book is about is what happened after 2008. Like today, almost everybody knows about the Fed. And today, almost everybody knows there was a dot-com crash and everybody knows there was a crash in 2008. But we don't know what happened after 2008. So when I read Collusion, it was talking about fill in the blanks, what happened to different countries like Mexico, Japan, China, and the detail, I hate to say this, Nomi, was mind numbing. You know, I don't know how you can get so much detail into a page, but it was stunning, stunning, stunning book, and I'm honored to have you in the studio with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much. It really is. I'm, I'm so glad I could be here physically um, with you. Yeah, I've been nice. a big fan of, of, of all of your work for so many years. So well, I'm, I'm just honored to be here um, with you and Kim. And I just, um, yeah, there's a lot of detail in that. And uh, amazing. I, I, I am looking at your highlights and I am <laughs> I am so grateful um, I put, that you I did that. I could have put it down. Well, and, and for those that don't know Nomi, and you're going to get to know her, she is a renowned journalist former international investment banker, author, and speaker. But we're talking to an insider because you were on Wall Street. You were with Goldman Sachs. You were with Bear Stearns in London. You were with Lehman Brothers. You you know what's going on. And, and it's only been 10 years since all of this has happened, and then the world has totally changed. Yeah. So it really is an honor to have you here and your expertise. Yeah, Thank I mean, it's, it's like, you know, 
I stands for insider, you know, and that's what most of us aren't. We're not insiders. So anyway, for those wondering, what is this show about? Well, it's a lot of things, but today Noma is going to focus on the four pillars of debt. You know, a while ago we had Richard Duncan on. He also worked for the World Bank and the IMF, and he talked about the three threats to the global economy today. So Noma is going to be covering what what is happening with debt because for those who have paid attention to the Rich Dad Radio Show, you may know that in 1944, the U.S. dollar became the reserve currency of the world. I.e., that meant it was good as gold. It was backed by gold. That's why when you when you looked at a U.S. dollar back then, it said in gold we trust. Today it says in God we trust. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Nothing against God, but I don't think God is backing up the dollar. You know, I mean, just. Yeah. And then after that, it was silver. In silver we trust. The U.S. dollar when I was a kid was a silver certificate. Now it's in God we trust. Oh my God, are we that stupid? I think we are, aren't we? So anyway, Noam is going to be talking about the four pillars of debt because in 1971, President uh, Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, he took the dollar off the gold standard and he broke it. And after that, all that meant was the U.S. could print as much money as they wanted, the U.S. Central Bank and the Treasury, the Fed and the Treasury. And then everybody started to print money. And we all know what happened in 2000 and 2008, and now we're at 2018. So the beauty of collusion is what happened after 2008, and what are the four pillars of debt the world economy is teetering on right now. So welcome to the program, Nomi. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, just picking up on something you said about 1971 and when um, the U.S. was taken off of the gold standard by, by Nixon, one thing that's the same as back then, um, obviously the gold standard is not, is that the banks at the time, the bankers at the time, um, were very much behind pushing Nixon into taking the U.S. off the gold of standard. Course. Why? Because then when the Treasury Department issued more debt and the Fed was able to calibrate rates to, to make it cheap or expensive depending on what they wanted to do. It was all, it was all like a free-for-all um, because you didn't have to have a set of gold set aside to keep a, the dollar or anything at a particular level. They could just print. And if you needed to print, you printed. So banks were very happy. That meant if they ran into an iceberg, if they had an emergency, you know, there was the Fed sitting there with like, all the life rafts they could possibly need ever. And that was in 1971. They foresaw there could be problems for which they would need this, like, grand backer. So that, so that would be like that old saying, you know, how can I be broke? I still have checks. You know? that's, right. That's <laughs> you know? exactly it. And, so, and so 71 was the game changer. And then, was, and then they just got more clever and more clever and more clever and figured and manipulated more and more and more till we're in this horrific position today. Right. So so by the time we got to the financial crisis of 2008, um, yeah, so the, the, the major banks had, had gotten the 1971 switch off of the standard. Um, and then they subsequently tried to ensure that anything, and these were the larger banks, right? The smaller banks, medium-sized banks, you know, have gotten gobbled up in a lot of mergers right. and acquisitions right. acquired by the big banks over the years. There have been many crises that the banks dumped on them, the big banks on the smaller banks. But what's happened is since the financial crisis of 2008 is the Fed decided with the Treasury Department to manufacture, basically to create out of nowhere electronically, you know, touch of a finger, 
what is now remaining. Now, 10 years later, $4.5 trillion just of Fed money that was made available out of nowhere to basically like act as a subsidy, act as a continued lifeboat for the, for the banks. banks. Right, because real people... Real people did not get the recipient of all of this, like, generosity no. from the Fed. Well, that'd be like each of us winning the billion-dollar lottery every single day. I mean, right. you could spend a lot of money that way. No, you, you, you could definitely. And if you don't have a fear that you need to be, as a big bank, accountable for <laughs> money that you're spending, whether it's in speculating, whether it's providing to corporations or countries to – in debt them further and getting a fee out of doing that in the process. If you don't have any accountability and you know that whatever you do, you will be bailed out by the Fed and not just not the government. The government bailed out banks, too. Yes, it did. But the Fed's bailout and subsidy mechanism has been hugely greater so, um, than I mean, what the I, government did. So, so okay. we, we all know that now. But the beauty of your book, Collusion, and everybody should get it. Like I said, I read it cover to cover. Because I think you take different countries, country by country, like Mexico, China, Japan. I mean, you've got to read the book because the world changed after 2008. And that's why I said the earlier books I was reading was leading us up to 2008. And your book, Collusion, again, by Nomi Prinz, get the book because the detail is spectacular and it's easy enough to read. I, I could read it. But the thing is, is what the world real before we get into the four pillars of debt, the world realigned after two thousand eight, right? There was a shift of power, and everybody said, "I'm going to join forces here. We're going to change forces." Like even Japan started talking to China, who they hate. That was amazing. That's right. What was really interesting, um, and what I do, um, as you mentioned, Robert, I go to the different countries. I actually went physically to these different countries. I didn't, right. you know, sit home and, and you know. Read in, the New York in, Times and, and read the New York Times <laughs> or the Wall Street Journal or, or any of those. Although there are some, there there are uh, there's about seventy pages of footnotes in that. Some of which are some of those papers. But for the most part, what I did was I went um, around the world and I looked at how each of the what I call pivot countries that have really been um, either devastated or potentially faced devastation financially because of what the Fed did, or have figured out a way to sort of game the Fed, um, however it is they did it, um, and, and what they did in the wake of the financial crisis. Because in the very beginning, in 2009, um, for example, the People's Bank of China's head said, you know what, the Fed is doing some dangerous stuff. You know, all of a sudden, the People's Bank of China, um, you know, Governor Zhao, who was the head at the time, he's not now, longest standing um, central bank leader um, in our times, started to get very um, vocally worried. But the reason is, is because they hold our bonds. They hold our bonds. They, that's I correct. Three, uh, estimate $3 trillion worth of bonds right now. They, they, they own and have owned a lot of our bonds. And they also own um, they, they, they own stake because they're also a trading partner. For, for so many reasons, they have an economic and financial liability, yeah, so, which is so, why you say so, it's, a global, it's a global crisis because right. everybody's yeah. depending on everybody so else to hold this up question, this house of cards. Yes. You know, a lot of people know the stock market, but the bond market's a lot bigger than the stock market. What would happen if, uh, let's say, Mr. Trump upsets China and China says, we're going to dump your bonds, which they probably never do. But if they dump the bonds, what would happen to U.S. bonds? What would happen to the U.S.? Yeah, so so that, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, China, on the one hand, doesn't want to because it will then lose its own value. But right. if but if it's a big enough problem, they, they, yeah. they certainly can. Um, but that's a bigger threat than yes. nuking us. 
Right, because because any well, because what would happen then if if they dump the bonds that that they're holding, um, and let's say they get their partners to do the same thing. Japan is also, for example, holding a lot of bonds. It's in the middle, but let's just say some of that starts to happen. Um, what that would mean is that the value of U.S. Treasury debt, the bonds themselves, would devalue because you know when you when you sell stuff at a fire sale and you just want to get rid of it the price goes down fast. No one wants to pay a lot for something you want so to get rid of. So what would the right? ripple effect if the bond bond values plummeted? So so when the bond values plummet, what happens is by by the sheer sort of math of bonds, which you know is, is a little more complicated than just looking at stock markets going up and down, there's another piece to it, which is that if the price of bonds goes down, because say China's selling them, the rates, the interest rates go up. Um, if interest rates go up on the bonds, that means that if the U.S. Treasury Department wants to, which they do a lot of, borrow more money, they have to borrow more money at Expensive. higher rates. Right. It also means that throughout- Pay it back with higher rates. And yeah. pay it back right. with higher rates. That's right. So all of a sudden, whatever they um, assume they're riding on, whatever they assume they're going to have to repay, all of a sudden multiplies very quickly. So all of a sudden, they're in a higher deficit just to repay the debt they have and then to borrow more debt to keep up. Right. So they borrow the debt just to pay back the debt. That's they right. don't borrow debt to do anything, well, to, that, to that, build or that create anything. Absolutely true, Kim. That's a whole other thing. But what happens is they're already borrowing money to pay back the debt, but they're borrowing it at a, a relatively low level of payment, a low interest rate. If China or, or any countries were to get together and decide that they have no confidence um, in this financial system, in what the Fed's doing, and, and does dump their, their, their treasuries, and even a little bit, it doesn't take a lot to move these markets. They don't have to dump trillions of dollars of treasuries. They could dump a couple hundred billion, a fraction of it, and, and just the sheer fear that that would instill in the system exactly would raise rates. And then you have countries in the emerging markets that have to have borrowed money also. Um, They have to pay it back with higher rates. And have to exactly pay it back with higher rates. So all of a sudden, a world that hasn't really been making enough money to pay for it's debt. It, it's debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's or like operating. If, it's like if, if I borrow money on my car, if I have a car loan and I don't pay it back, they take my car. Well, and that's <laughs> but right. nothing that, happens. And that's the recourse. That's exactly right. So going back to what I said with the banks, you know, banks realize that they'll never take their cars. Yes. They will only pay more money for worse cars. Or, or, th- or think about this. You're paying 5% on the interest on your car loan, and next week it's 10%. That's right. The cost of your car just doubled. That's right. So if you're if you're a real person who actually wants to keep your car and understands that right. relationship between a car loan and a car and the potential repossession of that car if you don't pay your loan off on time and all of a sudden your payments double, you try to find the money. But right. in the world, there has been no trying to find real money with real growth. There's simply been a printing of more debt to keep it afloat. Now, you with that uh, car payment can't do that. No. So when we come no, back, uh, we're talking to Naomi Prince, right? and uh, we haven't got to the real subject yet, yes. which is the four <laughs> pillars of debt. Because the most important thing to remember is in 1971, the U.S. dollar transitioned from a gold-backed currency to debt, an IOU from the American taxpayer. And as you know, that's the bourgeoisie, the middle class, who's going to have to pay it back, not the rich, because that the rich never pay for that stuff. So ladies and gentlemen, this is a very important subject today. We have honored to have Nomi Prinz in the book. Like I said, her book is Collusion. I read it cover to cover. I couldn't put it down because I wanted to see clearly now. I wanted to understand what happened after 2008. So when we come back, there's two, there's three countries quickly I want you to get into before going to the debt. Number one is Mexico. 
because you started with Mexico. Mm -hmm. Number two is Japan, because Japan and China have been adversarial, hate each other. And suddenly after 2008, there was an olive branch passed in Japan saying, the United States is screwing all of us with this debt and bonds and printing money. So China and Japan kind of started to hold hands. And now Trump has said to Canada and Mexico, you don't, if you deal with China, we're going, we're going to mess you up too. So we're sitting on a tinderbox right now. And that's why you should tune in more to the Rich Dad Radio Show. When we come back, we'll be talking to Nomi about que pasa, what is really going on out there. You're listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. What is your number one expense in life? Your number one expense, it's taxes. And I've asked the question is, how come there's no financial education in school, but why isn't there education on taxes either? You know, they tell you to save money, which is stupid. They tell you to invest in the stock market, which is stupid. But won't they teach you about taxes? So here we have Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright, we're talking about his revision for his book, Tax-Free Wealth. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Robert. So what's the tax-free wealth about? What what's different this time? It's a rev revised edition. Well, so what we did was is we ha this is the first major tax reform we've had in 30 years, 2017. Right. Was 86 was the last one. 86 was last one right. back when I was in Washington D.C. So many guys got wiped out because of that tax change. <laughs> they did. They yeah. did. It wiped out an entire industry, savings and loans. This new tax law is just as big, but in a very different way. It affects different industries. You know, the tax law is always a series of incentives. And the question is always which incentives and which ones apply to me. And so the, the key to revising tax-free wealth was, what is it, what changed so much in this new tax law that we can absolutely take advantage of, I mean, seriously, the amazing incentives. For example, I mean, the bonus depreciation, for example, for real estate is unbelievable. You buy a, a million dollar apartment, get a $300,000 deduction or more the very first year. So if you want to make more money and pay less taxes like Donald Trump and myself, get Tom's book, Tax-Free Wealth. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Log on to RichDadRadio.com while you listen. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki. Welcome back. Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And once again, you, you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or our Android and all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive them because we are an education company and repetition is how we learn best. For example, you can't learn to play golf taking one golf lesson. So we archive all of our programs so you can go to Rich Dad Radio, you can download this program and you can listen to it again. 
because you'll learn a lot the second time, probably more the second time. But more importantly, you can listen to this program with friends, family, you know, and your business partners and discuss it. In your discussion, you go to a third level of understanding. And our special guest today is Nomi Prince. Again, I fell in love with this woman and her book we've interviewed before, but Collusion. She's in the Rich Dad studio right now, and really an honor to talk to her. Collusion, I read cover to cover. I couldn't put it down because, as I said earlier, it was what happened after 2008. And we've had a lot of people talk about what led up to 2008, but Collusion is about is what happened after 2008, and if you want to stay awake at night, just read Collusion. Any comments, Kim? <laughs> yeah, well, the subtitle is How Central Bankers Rigged the World and Nomi Knows the Game because you've been in the game. You're an insider in the game. You were on Wall Street. You were at Goldman Sachs. You were at Bear Stearns. You were at Lehman. So you know the system and you know the game. And just talking at the break, you actually travel to these countries to find out what's going on in these countries. You don't just sit there in your ivory tower and then and read The Economist. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we get into the four pillars of debt, because that's probably the core of the problem was after 1971, the Fed could print as much money as it wanted, and what it does is it prints debt because debt money is created from bonds and debt and things like that. So that's why, you know, for those who have been at the Rich Dad Company, I love debt because I, I don't have to make money. I just go and borrow it and I buy assets with but it. But we borrow it and we do something with it. We create yeah. something with it and we pay it back. Yeah. Well, our tenants <laughs> pay it back. So. <laughs> but, but that's money coming in that you know where it's coming from. Yeah, yes. I know the source of the revenue exactly. to, to pay off the debt. So before going any further, you started collusion with Mexico. What happened in Mexico? Yeah, I, I started physically on the ground in Mexico, and, and I, I opened the book there because it was really interesting to me. Now, Mexico in 1994 went through a complete crisis. It was called the tequila crisis. By the way, I like mezcal. That's my <laughs> of tequila. Um, got a very nice bottle last time I was there last week. Um, but the point is that there was a major currency crisis, and the reason it happened um, was because our banks – um, in particular, Goldman Sachs at the time pushed the Clinton administration um, and Robert Rubin, who had been a former co-president at Goldman Sachs, who was the Treasury Secretary in 94 of Clinton's administration, to basically extract money from uh, Mexico to pay off loans they had made to Mexico. So this is a little known fact. Goldman Sachs is on the hook for money from Mexico. So what they, they owe go, Mexico money. Mexico they owes them money. They're okay. afraid that if um, something doesn't happen, they won't get their money back. back. Okay. They forced the Treasury Department to to create an emergency bailout that Clinton organized of twenty five. Um, at the time, it was just twenty five million dollars. I'm sorry, $25 billion, <laughs> sorry, P with a B, to, to, to help them and the rest of their banking partners get, their money, get their money back. So they went to our Treasury Department to make good on loans they had made Goldman Sachs to another country. And it happened. Um, wow. Now, in the wake of this, um, money was still coming out of Mexico. They had issues. But the point was, getting to today, is that one of the, the, the men who was involved in trying to help Mexico get through that crisis was a man named Guillermo Ortiz. No one needs to remember that, you know, unless you're in Mexico. Um, he was, you know, he came through the military, had a family that was very connected to Mexico, helped with the crisis. And he was the head of the Central Bank of Mexico when our financial crisis hit in 2008. And even before... Everyone out there knew it was happening in the fall of 2008, 10 years ago. 
He, in January of that year, said, you know what? I'm looking at some issues with U.S. debt, with subprime mortgage debt in the U.S., and I'm seeing some fluctuations, and it's not looking really good. And he started to warn world leaders and leaders in the U.S. that something was going to happen. He was ignored. Um, he was ignored by the media. He was ignored by the U.S. You come into the fall of 2008, 10 years ago, Bernanke, head of the Fed at the time, Chairman Bernanke, said in retaliation, well, no, sorry, in response to the financial <laughs> crisis, <laughs> in a bit of retaliation um, to like the economies, but in, in response to the financial crisis, we're going to set rates at zero. We're going to make the cost of debt for banks. Now, this meant that for banks, it was at zero. They could borrow money at nothing. And we're going to start to buy debt from the U.S. and debt from the banks. So we are basically going to become a source of money at no cost to you, and we'll buy your debt for more money than it is worth. And we'll keep it until you're good. Now, the head of the Mexico Central Bank said, you know what? I've been through this in 1994. It wasn't good because what happened was the people of Mexico lost confidence in the banks. And once that happened, all sorts of uncertainty crept into Mexico politically, economically, middle class. People throughout all levels started to become very uncertain as to what their futures would look like. So he warned Bernanke. He said, you know what? If you if you support the banks, and this was the beginning of what became multi-trillions of dollars of support, but if you do this, you will lose the confidence of the people of the United States. Wow. And you can't measure what that will mean. But I am warning you. So what Bernanke did was completely ignore him. In fact, in Bernanke's memoirs, I talk about this in collusion, he doesn't even mention Mexico. <laughs> he doesn't even mention this, this public warning. He just, he just continues to print money for the banks. Um, and so I went back to Mexico in the, in, you know, after the financial crisis, as the Fed still now had on offer trillions of dollars to the U.S. banks to keep them whole. Years after the crisis, still going. Um, and, and I talked to the, the current leaders and officials within the central bank and people who had been there at the time. And they, this was in 2015. They were very concerned, very concerned that ultimately this, this, this creation of money that didn't have a real purpose beyond subsidizing banks, this, but it enabled a lot of debt to be created everywhere, would have a very bad ending. They were all very, very worried. Um, they're still worried. Right. Um, you know, I, I was just there last week. There, there, there is still worry that there can be another major crisis because of how the Fed handled the last one. So let's look, what what happened in Japan and China then? What there was a switch of power right there, right? Japan wants to. We'll deal with China now. Right. So, so, so in the wake of all of this, other countries, not just the Fed, um, were were based not just the U.S., not just Mexico. They, they were basically concerned. Um, <laughs> That, 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 that this could be a problem, that you know, China was concerned, Japan was concerned, that if, if what the U.S. did continues and if what the U.S. did gets worse, i.e. supporting the banks at the and expense of money. the economy, right. printing money simply to subsidize financial like speculation instead and of really said, building. As you said, at the expense of the economy, at the expense of the people. At the expense of ordinary people, at the expense of the economy, at the expense of taxpayers, ultimately that's going to decrease the value of the United States and it's going to create more uncertainty for people throughout the world. And so even though they had been adversaries as countries, I was in Japan um, recently, actually, um, before this book came out. 
out talking to people who underground were working with the People's Bank of China to figure out a way um, to ensure that if they cooperated with each other, beyond whatever the government said at the top, because yeah. there's still sort of a, a little bit of tension there, but 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 sort of people below that were working together to figure out ways to trade with each other, to use each other's currencies, and to act as a kind of, um, you know, we talk about something called a hedge in finance, to protect themselves from what the potential fallout could be if the U.S. continues its its debt-sustaining, subsidizing policies. And and that's how they became more and more connected um, in, in a partnership than they had ever been before the financial crisis and because the Fed stepped in. Because of their in. concern of what's going to happen with the U.S. debt. So that's let's right. Go, let's, let's go into China because we hear a lot of rumors from there, you know, things like that. They're the biggest debtor nation in the world, and but we don't really know. So one of the things that China did, um, in, in part to protect itself um, globally and as it was sort of rising um, and from an economic perspective globally and also diplomatically, um, they decided, look, Fed's creating debt, European Central Bank's creating debt, Bank of Japan's creating um, debt um, by virtue of their central bank policies, by virtue of printing money to buy that debt. The debt would not be created if there was not a buyer. The central banks became the buyer. So what the People's Bank of China did, their central bank, is say, you know what, we can do this too. However, if we're going to print money, if we're going to reduce our restrictions on our banks. We want them to use that money to build our country. That's we want the them to that's exactly. We want them to use that money to form alliances with other countries and build their country. So what we're doing, China, People's Bank of China is is a similar action of printing money, but for a purpose, not simply to go into the ether and, and pretend it's building economies, but to actually build real physical things you can point to and touch and use. Well, it's like a person taking out a home loan and using it to go shopping, or versus somebody building taking a home loan and adding on to their house. So those are, it's the purpose of the money. You know, the, before you came on last time, I said, you know, the difference after reading a book, I got it really clear. You know, China actually builds stuff with their money, their debt, and so there's a long-term value to it. But the U.S. is like a payday loan company. That's all we do. We, we lend short-term, and we screw them if they don't pay it back. Right. We, we screw I, the country, the, the middle class, the taxpayers, yeah. because at the end of the day, if we— The rich don't pay taxes anyway. The rich don't pay, and, and many corporations don't, and now they've had a, an extra tax break. But but the reality is that only 9% of, of the money that comes into the U.S. government, the Treasury Department, to be used to run the country, only 9% actually even comes from corporations. So most of the money that is actually used to run the country does come from ordinary people, just comes from your listeners. Um, that's, that's just how it works. And so when the U.S. borrows money to just float— as a payday loan, you know, yeah. person as you know, company as you say, to float the financial system, to float the banks, yeah. they're by definition taking it away from the futures of the people yeah. of the country, of taxpayers. And Which, you and you just met with Congress, right, and talked to them about investing in infrastructure in the U.S. What would what impact would that have if they did that? Right. So I both bo both sides of the aisle, the Republicans and the Democrats, have talked about the need to build infrastructure. However, there has been no plan, no strategy that has come out of Washington yet. Like there is strategies coming out of China to use its money to build infrastructure in China and and for its partners, um, yet. And, and so what I've done um, is I've been talking to members of Congress and and senators and representatives on both sides of the aisle about using some of the money that the Fed has printed to buy debt 
and keep on its book doing nothing. To make for, the rich richer, right? Secure. Exactly, as that lifeboat for for the rich and for banks and so forth, um, is to util is is to take even a portion of that. Take even a portion of the over four trillion dollars of subsidies just the Fed has for the banking system, and use it to create um, seed money, capital, a fund. Um, I, in Washington, people get weird about what you call things. It's all political, but like money that can be used to build railroads, ports, roads, um, bridges, basically, yes, cancer research. Medical research and so forth, where you create jobs, you have you, um, you put money multi, back into the economy, you, and 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 you grow the economy for real. You don't have yeah. a situation where we've had for the last ten years. We have had a situation in our economy where there has not been more than two quarters. That's two out of forty quarters, where growth has been more than four percent. Where GDP growth has been more than four percent, and it's never been back to bank. It is small. It's small compared to to China. It's small compared to to major growing nations in the world. So if we're going to really grow things and, and pe- keep people employed at all levels of jobs, building, engineering, technology development, we we need a source of money where it's not a constant argument on the floors of Congress. And so what I've proposed to a number of members, um, and and I I hope that after we get our elections out of the way, and there can be some concentration on actually the country. Yes. And not, you know, sort of yes. fighting, fighting against yeah. each other or infighting that we can really come to at least creating a trillion dollars of seed money from money that's already existed. No new debt. Don't have to print more money. Don't have to print more money. Just have to basically recalibrate it for building and making lasting economic impact. So I, I had another question, Nomi. You, you mentioned that, um, is it Ortez? Ortez yes. in, in Mexico. He said if the people lose confidence in the banks... Hasn't that happened in the U.S.? Yes. Isn't that is and it happened in a lot of countries? Is that part of the problem of all the the fighting that's happening and and the and the what's going on between people? Yeah, no, I I think he was very prescient, um, and I think that. Everything that's happened in the last 10 years, and, and I think going forward, if things don't change dramatically, has has been in, in, in result of this this idea of just printing money to bail out Wall Street. It, it really has. I think everything comes down to that. So when people do lose confidence in in their financial system, mm-hmm. the banks, and in how the government deals with them. Yeah, they've lost uh, confidence is, in the government. They lose confidence in the government. That, that affects how they vote. That affects how they feel. Mm-hmm. That affects how they use their money to, to for their long-term strategies. Um, and it impacts uh, inequality within the country, throughout the world, and so forth. It's, it's ha- ha- the and fact People get that more desperate. People get desperate. People get angry. People get stressed. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's real because what's happened is money's been created to help one tiny little sliver of the world, and that's the banking system and speculators, and real people have had to effectively pay that burden. And so, yes, they they make decisions right. that are different because of that. Countries make different decisions. Tension in the world, I think, today can can be, and I talk about this in the book, can actually be linearly brought back to what the Fed decided to do and what collusions about made other major central banks do to help it, what the Fed did wasn't enough. They needed other central banks to print money as right. well to make it work in their estimate. That created a major shift in the world. Power relationships, how people feel, how they vote, how they think. Um, and and, and it's, 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 it's been a dangerous um, sort of set off. So uh, let's, let's get to the whole thing one more time is what are the four pillars of yeah. debt? Just reminding you, in 1971, the dollar became debt. And without debt, the economy collapses. 
Right. And so what what happened was the, the, the four pillars of death that I talk about, you know, and we've kind of gone around them um, through through our, through our conversation today. Um, it's it's consumer debt. Um, it's basically what what people um, borrow and they have had to borrow at a higher rate. Um, relative to what the banks have received money at, so there's, there's been so this is that whole credit, credit card debt. It's 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 credit card debt. It's it's auto debt. We talked a little bit before about if you if you borrow money for a car and you can't pay it back, you you get your car repossessed. But now they're doing with cars what they did when the housing right. market with the whole CLOs. subprime and they're right. loaning money to people that really should not be taking out loans. Well, and, and the problem is yes, there there is what they call subprime or, right. or, or 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 loans being made to to people for cars. That that's one of the pillars of debt and, and other assets where where people can't repay that debt already, you know, where they have to borrow more in order to repay. But the problem is they have to repay at much higher rates um, comparatively than they would have had to pay 10 years ago. So the banks are getting money more cheaply Mm -hmm. and people are getting money more expensively. That's what's happened. So the cost of debt for consumers has risen relative to the, the, the group of people that supply them with debt. Um, you know, the, the, so the again, financial the banks, institutions. The banks do great. And exactly. The middle class gets screwed. Right. And if, and, if, and if things happen, you know, if things get tighter, economy goes worse, rates go up, people get screwed even more. So that, that's, that's one of the aspects of debt. That's current debt. That, that's auto. That's consumer. That's household debt. Um, there's the future debt, which is student loan debt. Um, and in particular in this country, again, banks have gotten money cheaply. Student loan debt has tripled tripled since the financial crisis. It has been the highest growth of debt, our future generations, um, out of the wake of this crisis. So again, money has been printed to give to the banks. Students are walking out of universities with more debt than they've ever had before in the total amount of debt, which will be a sink to our economy because they have to repay it. They mm-hmm. have to live with their parents and not buy a house. There's lots of things that have to happen to, to make it's ends handcuffing. meet. It's handcuffing a lot of these. The future. Yep, it is. So that's another pillar. And, and we, we also heard that student debt was the number one asset of the government. Right. Number one asset. Right, because they've got those students kind Jeez. of in 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 a in a chokehold. Yeah. And, and the other two, you know, we've got we've got corporate debt. Now, corporate debt um, is again, you know, companies have all all throughout the world received more debt more expensively compared to what the banks have received it at um, relative to ten years ago. Corporate debt has gone up by almost double since the financial crisis. What that means is again, the debt's out there for these companies to have to repay, and it's gone to companies that aren't really worth. Um, that simply are borrowing money to continue to stay afloat rather than making mm-hmm. money out of their business in order to repay that debt. And, and some of that debt was to just buy back their own shares, get the share price high, so the CEO could exit with right. capital gains, not ordinary income. That's right. So so one of the things, and this is one of the reasons why the stock market is so high, um, is because debt that has been borrowed, you know, money that has been borrowed by some corporations that can't necessarily repay it, instead of finding a way to grow, they're buying their own stock. So what they're doing is they're lifting what, what appears to be the value of the company yeah. by but virtue of how really the stock doing is. Anything they're not doing anything, anything to make it right. work. So, so the company not, gets weaker. The company gets weaker and it looks better. the share price goes up. That's right. That's right. And And, and that's a danger. When the the stock market goes up, it's not that people are confident in the stock market. It's not the individual investors that are investing in the market. It's the companies buying back their stock. That that's a lot of it. There's been over a trillion dollars of buybacks this year that have been allocated. They've not all finished. But a trillion dollars of just that's not a trillion dollars of bill of growing your company. That's a trillion dollars of. Lifting your share price to make it look like you're growing. And, your and look at IBM. It's all a Ponzi IBM, scheme, isn't that's it? That's right. IBM bought Red Hat. They didn't create a new company. They just paid exorbitant right. amounts for Red Hat. Right. 
and it looks good, but the share the stockholders are going, no, that's not that's not it. Right. Ultimately, it dilutes the value yeah. um, in, in those types of acquisitions. They're it, too much. It, 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 they're paying too much. It increases the value on paper. Like It looks like the stock yeah. price is lifting because there's money that's been borrowed um, to go and lift it. And then the fourth pillar debt is, is, is what we're looking at from a government perspective. I mean, today, the global debt to GDP number, that's in the major countries, that's in emerging market countries, is far higher than it was before the financial crisis. That means just to function Governments have to continue to borrow money, not utilize what they've produced or built or long-term economic health in order to just simply stay afloat much more than they had before. Okay. Well, wow. thank you. You know, we could go on and on, go on, on all day <laughs> easily. But um, and there's so many more questions I want to ask. you got to come back. you got to come back. Once again, our guest today is Nomi Prince. She's the author of Collusion, How Central Bankers Rig the World. Rig the World. came out in May 2018. Like I said, I read it cover to cover. All the President's Bankers 2015, and her website is nomiprins.com, N-O-M-I-P-R-I-N-S.com. When we come back, we're going to ask Robert, and Nomi has so graciously agreed to stand by to answer your questions. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate, and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Financial freedom begins with financial education. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Once again, you can listen to this program anytime, anywhere on Rich Dad Radio. Tune into iTunes or Android. And all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. And we archive it because repetition is how we learn best. So if you listen to this program a second time, which I highly recommend, you'll learn even more. But if you discuss this program, let your friends listen to it, friends, family, and business associates, and you discuss it, once again, your learning will triple. Because we're talking about probably one of the more important subjects of this time in history. And our special guest today is Nomi Prince, and her book is Collusion, How Central Bankers Rig the World. And if you, I mean, I read it cover to cover. I couldn't sleep reading it because the amount of detail, as Nomi says, she was on the ground actually finding out from the different countries she was in. I'm not going to be able to sleep after this radio show. (laughs) (laughs) What this book, Collusion, proves, our governments almost have no power. All the power now has always, and this is what so many people like myself and Ed, Ed Griffin have been saying, the central banks always had the power. And this voting stuff was a bunch of BS, you know, it's blue sky. 
but the central banks have the power because exactly as, what's that guy uh, Rothschild said, give me control of the nation's money supply and I care not who makes the rules. That's right. And so when I was reading Collusion and I read what Nomi said about the new normal, it's chilling. It's that, you know, everybody says vote, vote, vote. It doesn't make any difference because the banks who control the money, like the Fed, the PB, the People's Bank of China, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of Japan, Bank of Mexico, they have the power. And you and I, our vote means nothing. So we're very lucky to have Nomish standing by for Ask Robert, and you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. Well, I've got to have you back, Nomi, because I've got 10,000 more questions. But anyway, <laughs> Melissa, what's the first question? Our first question today comes from Braxton in Frisco, Texas. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Robert, like millions of others, I'm drowning in ballooning student loan debt. Thankfully, I have a good job and so can make my payments, but millions of others can't. My question is, what do you see as a solution to this crisis, or do you think my and future generations will just suffer the consequences of this debt? Well, let me just give you the philosophical view on it, then let Nomi explain why student loan debt is the biggest you know what, to the young generation. It's just been horrible. But always look at the other side of it. It's bad that you have student loan. The good thing is you can pay it off. So I would take out a second job or do something to make a few extra dollars to amortize that student loan debt as fast as possible. Because it's like having a dying albatross rotting around your neck every day of your life until you pay it off. So just get another job, work, you know, at Safeway or something, make a few extra dollars and amortize that student loan debt because it's the worst of all possible debt in the history of the world. Any comments on that, Kim? No, I'll turn it over to, to Nomi because um, student loan debt, as we were talking earlier, um, student loan debt, you, you can't, if you could declare bankruptcy, you can't get out of student loan debt. I mean, it really is a noose around your neck. And, and, the, and the reason for that is that because student your student loan is, I mean, you're, education is not really worth anything to a bank. You see, if I buy a, a house, they'll repossess the house. And you buy a car, they'll repossess your car. But they can't repossess your little piddly education. <laughs> so that's why they have to make it the worst type and of debt possible. And it gets more and more expensive if you don't pay it off. Yeah, I they have punish a friend, you. She, she graduated with 65000 in debt. Now it's up to 75000 in debt. It's the worst debt. type of debt, so amortize so, it quickly. Yeah, so what 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 do you say, Nomi? Yeah, no, first of all, I, I, I couldn't agree more about, you know, whatever the situation is, getting out of that debt as fast as possible is, is, is the best way to, to reduce that sort of onerousness of it going forward. Um, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's hard because what happened in, in this, this new normal that, you know, you know, you're mentioning, Robert, that I talk about in the book is that central banks made a decision um, and they do have the power because they can create the money. I mean, if every student out there could create their own money out of nowhere, you would have no debt, right? And that sounds remarkable. The reality is that is what the central banks did um, for, for a lot of Wall Street. They basically gave them money um, in return for mortgage debt that really wasn't worth what they paid for it. Um, and the banks could use that money for whatever they wanted. That was a good deal for them. That was for done the to, rich bankers. It was a good deal for the rich bankers for buying their stock. Um, and it proves the power of the central bank even over the banks. The central bank became the largest source of money 
for the banks. It was always there since its history to be there as a support mechanism. But it became, you know, not just like borrowing money from your brother or sister. It became like, you know, getting money for nothing from like all of your grandparents and your aunts and uncles, like, and your parents. Like, that's what it did. So you come down to student loans, and there's, you know, $4.5 trillion of money the Fed created for banks and for buying other kinds of debt. That's three times the amount of the total of $1.5 trillion worth of student loans that are out there that students have to deal with for literally the rest of their adult lives unless they can they can repay it Um and a little bit goes a very long way. Um, so even paying, if you can, when you have a good year or a good moment or you get like a Christmas present or whatever it is, um, paying into the debt you have, because that's just going to reduce the expense of it um, going forward. But it, every day you don't pay it back, it increases. It grows. Um, and, and the problem is um, that if you're, say, for example, still in the middle of your education and rates go up because the Fed raises rates and all of a sudden you're paying even more to finish yep. your education yep. than you thought you were going to pay and going they weren't, into it. they weren't real uh, careful on vetting these students on who could afford it and who couldn't. They just pretty much gave student loans to pretty much anybody who asked. Well, because they know that there can't be any bankruptcy um, because legally, um, you know, as Robert mentioned, you, you, you can declare bankruptcy relative to like actual assets. You, if you have a house, it can be um, mm-hmm. foreclosed upon. If you have a car, it can be repossessed. You can't you can't take someone's education back. So as a result, there's no recourse legally um, since 2005 bankruptcy laws were changed for, for students even on that. So you, you, you are saddled with it. Um, I think there should be recourse. I, I think just, just, in, just because it has been unfair, um, not because you shouldn't have to repay what you borrow, but because the, the way in which the student loan debt has come to students has been just so unequal relative to the way that money comes to banks. So, but the, so the worst thing about the student loan debt, the more money they gave to the students, the higher the cost of education went. Yeah. That you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's just so horrible what our school systems have done to kids. You know what's interesting to me? I, I had lunch recently with a former um, colleague of mine on Wall Street. He, he stayed on Wall Street, made a lot of money. He, he's got four kids. They're all going to UPenn. Right. And, and what he the deal he, he was allowed to make was to be able to pay cash up front for four years of education for all of his kids, which he could do. He just wrote a check. Right. Now, most people can't do that. But by giving a check up front for less money than that education will cost four years from now, when those four years of college are done for each of his kids is less out of his pocket than it would be for a student to go through those same years as a regular normal person. So that means the school has to charge more because it gave this deal to the rich guy. It has to now charge more for its tuition to everybody else coming through. Well, cash talks, you know. (laughs) Hey, if you have student loan debt, pay it off. I mean, take one job, two jobs, three jobs, extra jobs. But it is the worst type of debt in the history of the world. And I said the schools are complicit because the more the more the fed, well, pe- the more loans people kids got, the higher the cost of education got. So it is a nasty, nasty, nasty thing. And I feel for the young people today. So once again, you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at Rich Dad Radio. I want to thank Nomi again for Nomi Prince for her book Collusion: How Central Bankers Rigged the World. And we'd love to have you back again because I could go on for this forever. Thank you. Great, great program. Thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing, Nomi. Thank you. Thank you for waking people up. Thank you.